And because this is the great Shabbat, we're going to talk a little bit about the great Shabbat. Shabbat Hagadol. First off, what defines greatness? Today is called Shabbat Hagadol, so we want to think about today the significance of Shabbat Hagadol. Now, that's a traditional name that's been given to the Shabbat before Passover. One reason traditionally that that name is given is that the sermon... See, Mike's not his head. He knows this part. <laughs> On Shabbat Hagadol is very long. If you think long, drawn-out rabbinic sermons is a, not a new phenomenon, think again. The ones back in the day, they started in the morning and they kept going into the afternoon. There's accounts of some rabbis being stopped in the middle of their message to say, it's time to say the Shema, Rabbi, because he's going on and on, and the time's going by. That's the tradition. They fell out of windows, yes. So Rashi actually wrote about the customary lengthy Shabbat Hagadol speech that makes the Shabbat feel long and drawn out. Therefore, they called that day Shabbat HaGadol. Gadol, as opposed to being big or large or great, it referred to being long and protracted. So, in other words, the long Shabbat. See the faces already. Rabbi Simon Jacobson once said, when people do not move around but stay in one place for an extended time, and don't have what to do, they customarily say something like, what a long day. The difference between synagogue sermons back in the day, in the Middle Ages, and today is probably that then people stuck around, regardless how long the sermons were. And even if it dragged on all morning and all afternoon, they seemed to just stay. Today, many people would just get up and leave. Looking at the watches, yes, looking back at the clock, and they would say, you know, I've been, you know, I already had plans for lunch, and you know, I got Torah club this afternoon, so I have to go get something to eat first. But the question I ask, I'll ask you, and there's really no perfect answer, but I know Mouse is going to respond to the first part of this answer. So, was it the sermon? Or the people? Probably both. Maybe the sermons were better then. Maybe the people were just more interested. We don't know. You decide. Guess what? We're not going to find out today because I have no intention of testing those waters here. It's going to be relatively long compared to uh, a couple of weeks ago. But it's not going to be late this afternoon. Another reason is because the, the one that the legal authorities gave, and it was the, it's called the tour. And there was a great miracle that happened on this Shabbat, a few days preceding the Exodus. There are many opinions on what that miracle was. But just here's just a couple here's three of them that we're going to just name. 
First, the Jewish people were commanded by Moses to take a lamb and tie it to their bedposts on Shabbat, the tenth day of Nisan, five days before they were to leave Egypt. When the Egyptians inquired, why are you buying lambs en masse? They were told that these lambs were intended as a Passover offering, which would be sacrificed in preparation of the plague of the firstborn. For some reason, I don't know why, actually I do know why, this really had the Egyptian firstborn in an uproar. They went to Pharaoh and said, let these people go like they want to go and worship. Because they're saying that we, the firstborn, are going to be put to death. And so what happened when Pharaoh said no, the firstborn Egyptians attacked the Egyptian army. So that they wouldn't come to kill them. So historically, we find that many Egyptians that were guilty of atrocities against the Jews were actually killed by the firstborn Egyptians on Shabbat Hagadol. And this, they say the meaning, this is the meaning of the verse in Psalm 136.10 that says, To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. A second reason, second miracle, was on this day it was demonstrated that the Egyptians were powerless against the Jews. They were very disturbed by the fact that the Jews wanted to slaughter lambs, which, by the way, was an Egyptian deity. So they were incapable of doing anything to hamper their plans. The third thing was the Egyptians wanted to kill the Jews for slaughtering their deity, and God miraculously spared them. Imagine this, the lamb, that's our God, and the Jews are going to kill our God. But they weren't able to do anything about it because God's hand was upon Israel. So, Shabbat Haggadol is kind of a, it's a commemoration of the final Shabbat in Egypt. About 3,400 years ago, thereabouts, probably a few, few years short of that, and just a few days before the Exodus, God commanded the Israelites in Exodus chapter 12, and he said, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The Midrash says about this, because you notice it didn't say anything about what to do with the lamb except keep it in your house for four days. Midrash on this says the Jews would tie the lamb to their bedposts from the tenth of the month on. And when the Egyptians would enter their houses, they would see the lambs and their souls would explode in rage. Think about it again. That's their God. And here the Israelites have their God tied up to their bedposts. So why? Again, the lamb was an Egyptian God. And 
This was the Egyptians' former slaves showing contempt for their God and their religion. And it drove them insane with anger. Midrash continues saying that the reasoning for that was the Jews openly treat their master's God with such contempt took tremendous courage and faith in God. Keeping their God tied to a bedpost for four days was a challenge to Egypt. That demanded far more dedication than a single act of bravery in a moment of excitement. The Midrash continues by saying, Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. Everyone must drag around a god of Egypt and slaughter it in front of them. They had to extend this brazenness into the public squares and streets of Egypt by slaughtering and roasting the Egyptian god in front of the Egyptians. Can you say chutzpah? But they were doing what God told them to do. Can you imagine that even today you go into a society where certain things or objects are worshipped and you desecrate it? I don't think you'd ever be able to finish the act. They, 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 you'd, you'd drop dead right then on the spot. But God had his hand on his people. And he commanded them that they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw or boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire with its head, its legs, and its innards. Okay, so, again, they were in the face of the Egyptians, desecrating their religion, killing their god that they worship. So, also on Shabbat Hagadol, it's traditional, and this is where the lengthier part comes in to read part of the Passover Haggadah. Beginning from the paragraph that begins with the words, Avadim Hayinu, which means we were slaves. One reason that this is done is it was the redemption that began on Shabbat Haggadol back then, during Passover. Another reason is to familiarize the children with the contents of the Haggadah in fulfillment of the mitzvah, you shall tell your children on that day. Another reason, it serves as some a sort of a rehearsal for the Seder night. Norm read and mentioned earlier that this is something that's done every year. But how many of you remember the Passover story throughout the year? How many of you remember the words in the Haggadah throughout the year? You usually only start thinking about it at this time of the year. So it's a rehearsal, and it helps us become refamiliarized with the text. And for newer people, it, it familiarizes them with it. So, the following words are going to be from a more traditional Haggadah. You will probably not hear most of this recited or repeated at our Seder, because we're using a different Haggadah. And this, again, is where the lengthy part comes in. You will recognize some of it. Today, and you'll recognize some of it two weeks from now when we do this in our Seder. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but Adonai, our God, took us out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Had not God taken our fathers out of Egypt, then we, our children and grandchildren, would still be enslaved 
to Pharaoh in Egypt. Even if we all were wise and perceptive, experienced and versed in Torah, it would still be our duty to tell about the exodus from Egypt. The more one talks about the exodus, the more praise he deserves. Now it happened that rabbis Eliezer, Joshua, Elazar ben Azariah, Akiva, and Tarphon were reclining at the Seder table in Benay Rock. They spent the whole night discussing the exodus, and this is what I referred to earlier, until their students came and said, Rabbis, it's time for the recitation of the Shema. Because it just got longer and longer. The Haggadah continues. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah said, I am like a 70-year-old man, and I have not succeeded in understanding why the exodus from Egypt should be mentioned at night until... Ben Zoma explained it by quoting, in order that you may remember the day you left Egypt all the days of your life. The Torah adds the word all to the phrase, the days of your life, to indicate that the nights are meant as well. Sages declare that the the days of your life means the present world and all includes the messianic age. Blessed be the omnipresent, blessed be he. Blessed be God who has given the Torah to his people Israel. Blessed be he. The Torah speaks of four sons, a wise one, a wicked one, a simple one, and one who is not able to speak a question. The wise son asks, what is the meaning of the testimonies, statutes, and laws which Adonai, our God, has commanded us? Explain to him the laws of the Pesach, that no dessert may be eaten until after the Passover sacrifice. The wicked son asks, What does this service mean to you? By the words to you, he implies that this service is only for you, not for himself. By excluding himself from the community, he denies God. So tell him bluntly, this is done on account of what Adonai did for me when I came out of Egypt. For me, not for him. Had he been there, he would not have been redeemed. The simple son asks, what is this all about? Tell him, with a strong hand, Adonai brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. As for the son who is unable to ask a question, you must open up the subject to him as it is written. You shall tell your son on that day, this is on account of what Adonai did for me when I came out of Egypt. Continuing on the Haggadah reading, one might think that the Haggadah should be recited on the first day of the month of Nisan, but the Torah says, you shall tell your son on that day, the first day of Passover. One might think that the phrase on that day means the story of the Exodus should be recited in the daytime. Therefore, the Torah says, this is on account of what Adonai did for me. The word this refers to the time when this matzah and this maror are placed before you on Passover night when you are obliged to eat them. At first, our forefathers worshipped idols, but now the omnipresent has brought us near to his service, as it is written. Joshua said to all the people, so says Adonai, God of Israel. Your fathers have always lived beyond the Euphrates River. Terah, the father of Avraham and Nahor, they worshipped other gods. I took your father Avraham from the other side of the river and led him through all the land of Canaan. I multiplied his family and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave Mount Seir to inherit. However, Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Blessed be he 
who keeps his promise to Israel. Blessed be he. The Holy One, blessed be he, predetermined the time of our deliverance in order to fulfill what he had pledged to our father Abraham in a covenant. As it is written, he said to Abraham, your descendants will surely sojourn in a land that is not their own, and they will be enslaved and afflicted for 400 years. However, I will punish the nation that enslaved them, and afterwards they shall leave with great wealth. This promise has sustained our fathers to this and us. For not only one enemy has risen against us to annihilate us, but in every generation men rise against us. But the Holy One, blessed be he, saves us from their hand. Learn what Laban, the Syrian, tried to do to our father Jacob. When Pharaoh decreed only against the newborn males, Laban tried to uproot all of Israel, as it is written. The Arameans sought to destroy my father. However, he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a great, mighty, and numerous nation. He went down to Egypt, compelled by divine decree. He sojourned there implies that he did not come down to settle in Egypt, but only to live there temporarily, as it is written. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in this land because there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. For now, though, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Few in numbers, as it's written, written, with 70 souls, your ancestors came down to Egypt. And now Adonai, your God, has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. There he became a nation, means that they became a distinct people in Egypt. They didn't become assimilated. The Haggadah continues. Great, mighty, as it is written, the children of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and became mighty, and the land was full of them. And numerous, as it is written, I made you as populous as the plants of the field. You grew up and wore choice adornments. Your breasts were firm and your hair grew long, yet... You were bare and naked. The Egyptians suspected us of evil and afflicted us. They imposed hard labor upon us. The Egyptians suspected us of evil, as it is written. Let us deal with them wisely, lest they multiply. And if we happen to be at war, they may join our enemies and fight against us and then leave the country. And afflicted us, as it is written. They set taskmasters over them in order to oppose them with their burdens. The people of Israel built Pitom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. They imposed hard labor upon us, as it is written. They imposed back-breaking labor on the people of Israel. We cried to Adonai, the God of our fathers. Adonai heard our cry and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. We cried to Adonai, the God of our fathers. As it is written, it happened in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel sighed because of their labor and cried. Their cry of servitude reached God. Adonai heard our cry as it is written. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Yaakov. And saw our affliction, that is, the conjugal separation of husband and wife, as it is written. God saw the children of Israel, and God knew. Our toil refers to the drowning of the sons, as it is written. Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, but you shall let every daughter live. 
Our oppression means the pressure based, used upon them, as it is written. I have also seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Adonai brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great awe, miraculous signs and wonders. Adonai brought us out of Egypt not by an angel, not by a seraph, not by a messenger, but by the Holy One, blessed be he himself, as it is written. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from man unto beast. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Adonai. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night myself and not an angel. I will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt myself and not a seraph. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments myself and not a messenger. I am Adonai. I and none other. Mighty hand refers to disease among the cattle. As it is written, Behold, the hand of Adonai strikes your cattle which are in the field. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks of very severe pestilence. Outstretched arm means the sword. As it is written, His drawn sword in his hand outstretched over Jerusalem. Great awe alludes to the divine revelation as it is written, Has God ever attempted to take unto himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, miraculous signs and wonders, by war and with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, and by awesome revelations, just as you saw Adonai your God do for you in Egypt before your eyes? Miraculous signs refers to the miracles performed with the staff of Moses. Incidentally, in the Hebrew, Moses is not mentioned, but you know he's there. Because it's written, take this staff in your hand that you may perform miraculous signs with it. And wonders alludes to the plague of blood, as it is written. I will show wonders in the sky and on the earth. And then there's the ten plagues, which the Holy One, blessed be he, brought upon the Egyptians in Egypt. Blood, frogs, vermin, wild animals, cattle disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and death of the firstborn. The Haggadah continues with Rabbi Yose the Galilean who says, How does one derive that after the ten plagues in Egypt, the Egyptians suffered fifty plagues at the sea? Concerning the plagues in Egypt, the Torah states that the magician said to Pharaoh, It is the finger of God. However, at the sea, the Torah relates that Israel saw a great hand which Adonai laid upon the Egyptians. And the people revered Adonai, And they believed in Adonai and in his servant Moses. According to Rabbi Yosue, it reasons that if they suffered ten plagues in Egypt, they must have had fifty plagues at the sea. If you understand what he's saying, the finger of God, but then the hand makes it multiplied by five. That's his interpretation. Continuing, Rabbi Eliezer says, How does one derive that every plague that God inflicted on the Egyptians in Egypt was equal to the intensity of four plagues? It is written, he sent upon them his fierce anger, wrath, fury, and trouble, a band of evil messengers. So he said, since each plague was comprised of wrath, fury, trouble, and a band of evil messengers, they must have suffered 40 plagues in Egypt and 200 at the sea. Rabbi Akiva says, How does one derive that every plague that God inflicted on the Egyptians in Egypt was 
equal intensity to five plagues. Again, as it is written, he sent upon them his fierce anger, wrath, fury, and trouble, and abandoned messengers. Since each plague, plague was comprised of fierce anger, wrath, fury, trouble, and a band of evil messengers, they must have suffered 50 plagues in Egypt and 250 at the sea. We're almost finished with the Haggadah portion. Then God has bestowed many favors upon us. This is the part you'll recognize. He brought us out of Egypt. Had he brought us out of Egypt but not split the sea before us, Dayenu. Had he split the sea before us but not fed us in the desert, Dayenu. He fed us with the manna but not brought us to Mount Sinai, Dayenu. Had he brought us to Mount Sinai but not given us the commandments, Dayenu. Had he brought us the commandments but not led us to Israel, Dayenu. Had he led us into Israel but not given us the prophets, Dayenu. Had he given us the prophets but not built for us the temple, Dayenu. Had he built for us a temple, but not promised the Messiah, Dayenu. How much more so, then, should we be grateful to God for the numerous favors that he bestowed upon us? He brought us out of Egypt and punished the Egyptians. He smote their gods and slew their firstborn. He gave us their wealth and split the sea for us. He led us through on dry land and sunk our foes in it. He sustained us in the desert for 40 years and fed us with the manna. He gave us the Sabbath. He brought us to Mount Sinai. He gave us the Torah and brought us to Israel. He built a temple for us to atone for our sins. That completes the portion that is traditionally read on Shabbat Haggadot. But I have a question. Talk, looking back to Rashi. Why did he mention the reason that people felt the long sermon or why the sermon made the day so long and referred to Shabbat Hagadol as the long Shabbat and make it like a negative day. Why would it be important to tell us this? Anybody know Rashi personally? If you do, you ask him, because I don't know the answer. Especially if you think of all the positive things that happens, that happened, that could we, we could call this Shabbat Hagadol, the great Shabbat. Reasons that reflect the special and great miracles that happened that day. We talked about a few of them earlier. So many of the scholars over generations have, I mean, there's a variety of reasons that they've given as to why this is a special day. Why it's called Shabbat Hagadol. Another fact about Shabbat Hagadol, its name is not even mentioned in biblical or Talmudic literature. The first time we find it mentioned is in the writings of Rashi and other scholars like him. They write that the name is shrouded in mystery. I quote, the Shabbat prior to Passover, people are accustomed to calling Shabbat Hagadol. And they don't know why it's called Shabbat Hagadol. Why it is distinguished as being greater than the other Shabbats of the year. So they don't even have a good answer. But they continue to provide reasons that this, of this name based on the great miracle that happened on that Shabbat in Egypt. 
from all the documented accounts that I've seen, and there may be others that I didn't see, the name of this Shabbat was popular, very popular, which kind of suggested it was passed on by word of mouth or from generation to generation. Sound familiar? Lador, Vador. So it's been passed down throughout all generations. But the reason wasn't passed down except to a select few that they think they know the reason. But we don't know for sure. So it's, the question still remains. Where did the name originate? How far back does it go? Because of the first documented mention of Shabbat Hagadol was with Rashi or some of the other scholars, that's as far back as we can look. We can't look back much further. We can only infer or imply even that it applied back at the Exodus because it was a great Shabbat. So the, the history of Shabbat Hagadol and its name, according to some sources, I quote, seems to be muddled almost intentionally in obscurity. Well, that explains a lot, right? It, we don't know what it, where it came from and why it's done, but we do it. Why do we do it? Because it's tradition and because it is on the calendar. And so we do it. Now, that's not saying that Jewish law is not clear about it because the Shulchan Aruch is very clear about the great miracle that happened on that Shabbat. And we honor that every year. Like Norm said before, it's a perpetual ordinance that we do Pesach every year. So therefore, we do Shabbat Hagadol every year to honor the fact that God did a great miracle with his people way back then. 35, 34, 3500 years ago. Over the years, there have been many long, drawn out, and you could even use the term, you could even say eloquent sermons have been given on Shabbat Hagadol. And they explain the moral and spiritual aspects that came from those miracles. But when we go back and try to explore the past, the history, if you will, of the holiday, the origins seem to fade the further back we go because there was not a lot, enough literature on this holiday. Now, one thing I'm not going to do at this point, I'm not going to try to unravel all the mysteries of Shabbat Haggadol. I can't, well, I could, but then we would be going, I could make it longer. If I see people starting to get up and leave, then I'll know that I don't want to go much longer. Instead, I'm going to conclude with a quote from Rabbi Jacobson. It's a very long quote, but it is the conclusion. He is going to end my sermon today for me. We may have here a full-blown manifestation of the paradoxes and absurdities of life which is acutely reflected in Jewish life. On one hand, Shabbat Hagadol celebrates the great miracles that preceded the Exodus. After years of oppression at the hands of the Egyptians, the oppressors 
finally got their due. As they turned on each other and witnessed their gods being destroyed, helpless to do anything about it. Year after year on this Shabbat, throughout the millennia, sermons upon sermons were delivered, educating, inspiring, motivating, cajoling the people to honor these miracles, improve their lives, and heighten their consciousness. On the other hand, the Jewish people, though free at last, are never allowed to gloat and succumb to pride and self-importance. To remind us of that fact, we don't really know when and where the great Shabbat got its name. Furthermore, in an almost tongue-in-cheek way, quite refreshing if you ask me, we are reminded that some of these sermons, even back then, may have gone too long. Or if that sounds too harsh, that the long sermons made the people feel that it was a very, very long day. They saw that there was a very thin line between comedy and tragedy, as well as between intensity and lightness of being. Sometimes the only way to survive and not be trampled by existential loneliness and the contradictions of life is with a bit of humor and self-deprecation, not to take yourself too seriously, not becoming smug in the face of success, and not to be depressed in the face of perceived failure. Balancing the two, seriousness and cheerfulness, intensity and buoyancy, realism and optimism, sadness and laughter, pain and joy, success and humility, is the secret to resilience and success, the power to withstand all challenges and endure, the mystery of immortality. And he concludes with, in some strange way, this is the secret of greatness, the mystique behind the great Shabbat. Lord, we do thank and we bless you for bringing us to this season. We thank you that you have us Remember what happened in years past with your people and how you delivered them, as we read, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And we thank you that you're still delivering your people today. You're still bringing your people out of bondage and into freedom. That freedom in you, Lord, we value so much. Help us to not be bogged down with the trivial things that we deal with on a daily basis, but that we will remember that you have given us life, that from you comes our peace, our healing, and our deliverance. Lord, as we enter into this season, we thank you that we are still able to stand in your presence and be able to partake of the Passover, that we are able to continue on your word and the traditions of your people as we celebrate. Thank you, Lord, for this day, the great Shabbat, Shabbat Haggadol. With all of its meaning, with all of its substance, reminding us that the first great Shabbat saw your people set free. We pray for great Shabbat to continue in the lives of your people today. In Yeshua's name.